The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche. You always hurt the one you love. Written by Mercedes Lackey and Dennis Lee. Vicky came to lying on a gurney, a stabbing pain in her chest, her head pounding, with Bella's hand just below her collarbone, firmly holding her down. Hold still, Bella ordered, her mouth set in a grim line. But hold still. You've got a punctured lung from trying to run, you've got a concussion, and the ribs that aren't splintered into your lung are cracked. I don't want to put you out, but I will if I have to. Hold still. She held still, closing her eyes, tears leaking out of them. No, was doppelganger. We... Waves of healing passed through her, easing the pain, setting things right, healing, healing everything but the heart, which ached more than Vicky had thought possible. I know, Bella replied. Eight recorded it all and played it back for me while you were on the way here. We've got people on initial damage control directing Eight. Eight's dragging out every archived Overwatch log that has her on it and scanning them to see what she cut her claws on. He's already done all her records. He's also checking all her computer logs and mine in case she figured out my passcode and is looking to see what was accessed when and syncing that up with the tapes of me to make sure no one got in on those passwords that wasn't me. And he's scanning every bite that Echo has for bugs, worms, or trojans. You done good with him, Vix. He's a treasure. Hold still. A pause. There's something you ought to know, Vix. I should have scanned you back when I figured out how to tell who had the metafactor, but I didn't until just now. You're a metahuman. You probably triggered a long time ago. That might be why you can work with tech and no other mage can. Irrelevant. Her brain pushed the words aside in favor of action. I can do more magically when you're fit to move, I know. First, you have to be fit to move. The words escaped her before she could stop them, along with the tears. He said he loves me. I love him, and she took him. The pulsing waves of healing energies faltered for a moment. I know. Bella said in a whisper, an empathic caress like a kiss rested above her weeping heart for just a moment. Then the healing began again. I think maybe you should sleep and let me do my work. Against her will, she fell into darkness again. From the outside, Baron's secret base at the tip of Florida looked unchanged from the abandoned missile test facility it had been until recently. What was it about abandoned missile bases that so attracted the masters when it came to making bases out of them? Was it the remoteness? Was it the irony of using something humans had built to make it into their own? Or was it some reason that Doppelganger could never understand? The four corrugated metal and concrete buildings on the property had managed to survive the hurricane called Andrew mostly intact— Baron had preserved the appearance on the outside down to the graffiti, but had gutted the insides, then created a hidden structure within each building that served as a compact forward base and hangars. 
It was supremely ironic that right beneath the one used as the main hangar was the missile silo itself, still holding the experimental aerojet missile. Doppelganger left Flatermouse on a cracked concrete pad inside the corrugated metal hangar next to Baron's main building, a blocky beige concrete creation covered in graffiti. Very few non-Thulians had ever been allowed to see what was inside that building. Baron waited just outside a doorless entry, Thulian flunkies in power armor standing motionless on either side of her. As always, when facing one of the masters, Doppelganger was confronted by the question, how on earth did one classify them? Not an Untermenschen, surely, but not an Ubermensch, either. Not a Mensch at all, actually. It would have made a pretty philosophical problem for the lights of Goebbels, Heidegger, and Hitler himself to have debated over meals of homely kraut and bratwurst at the eagle's nest. They were, considered purely as aesthetic creatures, rather attractive. Around eight or nine feet tall, thin, delicate, they were bipeds that posted eight functional arms. The main two, and the ones that corresponded most closely to human arms, were much larger than the others and ended in pincher claws. The rest were generally kept close to the body until needed and ended in specialized appendages. The entire creature, at least what Doppelganger could see of it beneath armor that was strictly decorative, was covered in tiny purple feathers. The head was surmounted by a crest of very long, silky feathers of a darker purple hue that gave the impression of a showgirl's headdress, and the head beneath the crest was actually heart-shaped, with a pair of huge, childlike, slanted eyes colored a rich emerald green with no whites to them, a tiny, tip-tilted nose, and an unobtrusive slit for a mouth. The mouth opened, and perfectly accented Bavarian German words in a rich, feminine contralto emerged from it. I trust your task went well, my friend. Well enough, dear Baron, Doppelganger said with a bow. Please convey my gratitude to Supreme Oberfuhrer Gero for his patience in this task. He will soon have another formidable weapon to add to his already impressive arsenal. Nothing, perhaps, on your level, of course. Still, I would be most surprised if he were not pleased with my results. You are ever so amusing, Doppelganger, Baron purred. Some, certainly your fellow Ubermenschen, might see your ambition as troublesome, even insulting in how you seek to rise above your station. But you never cease to entertain. That is perhaps why he dotes on you so. You further the game, you always have, and you are always a favorite in the ratings. She paused as the cargo doors opened with a steely hiss on Flatermouse, and a group of workers rushed forward to unload a large casket onto the awaiting transport. And you plan to conduct your unseemly experiments here? Baron asked with a slight grimace. It took an age to sanitize the chambers after the last incident. Not at all, Doppelganger laughed. My prize is still on board. This is, I think, something of a bonus. The universe provides, Commander. Yes, so you have said on many an occasion. Baron cocked her head, curious. Oh, but I do enjoy puzzles. Do you have me guess? Please do, Commander, Doppelganger invited. I enjoy matching wits with you. There's so many choices. 
it must be on our list of desired acquisitions, which narrows things down somewhat. One of Baron's lesser appendages tapped out a rhythm on her left pincher. By the way, I see you have taken on a female persona to match your actual sex. May I say I approve? Doppelganger shrugged. It was required for the task. When I return to the mothership, alas, I will have to revert to the male form. Tedious, but necessary. Baron gave it sure of irritation. Unfortunate. I do not approve of hiding what and who you are. Doppelganger made a gesture with her hands that the masters accepted as a sign of conciliation. Alas, I do not have your advantages. No one offers disrespect to one of the masters, male or female. Humanity, for all their talk of equality and justice, still consider the lack of a penis as a birth defect. I grew tired of gender bias ages ago and chose to do something about it. But please, let us leave this topic and return to the more delightful one of which of your chosen targets I have acquired. I will give you a hint. Although I am wearing an Echo uniform, it is not a member of Echo. Ah, Baron said, nodding. My first guess would have been the Victrix woman. She was your preliminary target, was she not? She would have been a high prize indeed. I regret to say she was more difficult to capture than I anticipated, Doppelganger said smoothly. If it is any consolation, I left her in great lingering pain and considerable emotional distress, perhaps enough to render her useless to echo for the foreseeable future. She made a motion that the masters interpreted as contempt for one's enemy. These echo matters are as vulnerable to emotional manipulation as any normal human. Rest assured, she will soon be ours. That leaves me with few options, Baron said. By all accounts, Tesla and Marconi were destroyed by the destruction of Metis. Surely you can't have captured the most elusive quarry of all. Am I to understand that this casket carries the one and only... Dominic Verdigree III, said a gruff voice. And before you give whoever this Yahoo is too much credit... I'm sure you'll give me permission to register a complaint. They turned, surprised at the interruption, as a short, stocky man marched into the hangar. His face, barely discernible in the dim light, nevertheless radiated a dark fury. He was accompanied by a tall, emaciated man, impeccably dressed in a tailored suit, horn-rimmed glasses and polished shoes, his head down and fingers tapping lightly on a portable tablet. Jack! Baron purred. Why am I not surprised? She glanced avidly from Jack to Doppelganger and back. A complaint, you say? Am I to understand by this interruption that perhaps our dear Doppelganger's success in obtaining vertigree was not entirely due to her own efforts? Doppelganger throttled down rage. How dared this mud-born normal come tramping in here, claiming to be responsible for her catch. You're damn skippy, Jack growled. Had him in my sights, I did, when this cowgirl came swooping out of nowhere and scooped him up. Don't really appreciate this, Lady Baron. You trying to renege on the deal? I would be careful, 
human, with your choice of words and your tone, Darren said, her voice dreadfully quiet. Or need I remind you of the fact that you still draw breath at our lord's whim and his amusement? You displayed much cheek, seeking us out, even finding us. That granted you audience and little more. Explain yourself quickly, and bear in mind that his amusement will mean less than nothing if I find one syllable faltering towards disrespect. Jack stopped in his tracks, as if considering the weight of her words, and nodded. No disrespect intended, he said, holding his hands up in the gesture of conciliation. Damn him, Doppelganger thought. He's learned the sign language. I simply desire some understanding on your part, if not favor, for the lengths I went through to undermine Verd's plans, to drive him to flight, to expose him and make him vulnerable. Darren's slit of a mouth curled up at the corners, for the masters had learned the equivalent of smiling. You had a hand in it, this I know. A masterful bit of sabotage. He? Actually figured it out, Jack shrugged. How to negate metagenes. Took a bit, but yeah, I managed to contaminate his gas reservoir. I'll admit I took some pleasure in it. For all he knows, he messed up. He probably thinks he should have tested the formula with a larger population size before going public with that attempt at the Georgia Dome. Amazing what mixing in some simple salts and reducing agents will do. And even now, <laughs> he'll never know. Whatever comes next, he'll just think he made a careless mistake. If nothing else, that will haunt him. Jack smiled sardonically. But it goes back further, as you know. That debacle in Atlanta on the anniversary of the invasion didn't go too well for him. You might say it started his steady decline, and I'll admit I had a role to play in that. Since then, Verd's been dealing with a mess of failures. A little nudge here and there, and his plans have simply fallen apart. It's made him a little uncomfortable, even reckless. Jack smirked. His attempts on that so-called angel were amusing. He'll never know why John Murdoch found his black snake goons in their honeymoon hotel so easily, but Verd's not one to look back anyway. It's the results that matter. He never really learned to cope with failure being so unfamiliar with it. It's made this last year rather entertaining for me. Baron's crest feathers rose and fell. Doppelganger had not yet learned to interpret that. It seemed to be a random reaction, and yet, how could it be? I have to say, Jack continued, it gives me a warm feeling screwing over that backstabbing prick. I've been there at every turn, guiding things to the point where he would simply have to wrap it right into my waiting arms. So you can imagine my... displeasure when just moments before delivering the coup de grace, seconds before I picked him up to deliver him here to you, he got picked up by... her. He stuck a thumb at Doppelganger and gave her a sour look. Aren't you supposed to be a dude? Doppelganger answered him with a murderous glare. Anyway, Jack said, ignoring her. That's my complaint. She just took advantage of everything I had already done. She wouldn't have gotten him, except for that. And she lost Victrix. She said so herself. I held up my end of the bargain, 
I'm just requesting, humbly, that you would honor yours. Hmm, Baron replied. One can see the justice in your plaint, and yet, dear Jack, when have the masters ever concerned ourselves with being just? The crust feathers rose and fell again. However, we do pride ourselves on keeping our bargains. So, while I cannot provide you with the full amount of the prize we had allotted you, I can certainly assign you the ship you are using and the technology in its hold permanently. Will that suit? Jack bowed his head as if considering her words. He motioned to the bespectacled man beside him, who surrendered the tablet. Jack took it and ran his fingers rapidly over the screen, and finally grunted. Acceptable. With one proviso, he growled, and passed the tablet back to his aide. You carry the difference through to the next job. Think of it as good faith in this mutual venture, that such a profitable relationship will continue. Business, you understand. But of course, Baron replied. Business is business. Done, then, Jack said with a bow. You've got my number, Lady Baron. Don't hesitate to use it. He turned to leave when he felt a hand on his shoulder. Jack, Doppelganger said, and released her grip on him. You would be the genie's acquaintance, then. Red and I go back, yeah, Jack nodded. What's it to you? Allow me to convey your well wishes, then, when next I see him. Doppelganger's mouth curled into a vicious smile. Jack looked Doppelganger up and down and shrugged. You're not really Red's type, lady, but I wish you luck. Jack motioned to his aide, and the two strolled away. Jack paused for a moment and glanced back at Doppelganger. A bit of advice. Whatever you're planning with the genie, I'd think it through a bit more. He's usually more trouble than he's worth. Might be a bit more than you can swallow. Doppelganger watched them leave and felt a bubbling hatred for the little man. Was that a smirk dancing on his lips as he turned away? She had executed her plan perfectly. The genie was now without allies but one, and the one he had left was effectively trapped in the quagmire she had left in her wake as the duplicitous Mel at Echo HQ. She would have time, more than enough time to see it done. But the little man's parting words left a sour taste in her mouth. Had she missed something? Was the genie truly alone now? She grimaced and pushed the thought away. There was no need to worry. She had everything she needed. Composing herself, she turned back to Baron and bowed. There's still much to do, my dear Baron, she said. I would beg your leave. Please convey my respect to the Supreme Oberführer. Of course, doppelganger, Baron nodded. Enjoy your task. I'm sure we will enjoy the show. As they boarded the shuttlecraft, Jack moved quickly to the pilot's chair and set the commands for immediate takeoff. They had made their entrance, put on their performance, and gotten out. It was never a good idea to overplay your hand, and he was understandably careful whenever he had to deal with masters. 
He was still learning their signs, their tells, and it made any negotiations with them rather twitchy. He had not expected to see Doppelganger there. That had surprised him, as had her interest in Red. When the others were squared away, he would have to make a note to warn the genie. At the moment, it was Victrix Jack was concerned about. From what little he had overheard, it sounded like Victrix was safe, for now. And when Jack had enough to send her, she would receive a doozy of a report on the true threat to humanity. Jack gripped the controls, ready to take the shuttle up and away, when he turned to his aide. Did you get enough? he asked. His aide moved forward, smiling. He took off his glasses with one hand and made a beckoning motion with the other. From the rear of the cabin, a figure stirred and moved towards him with a deadened gait, wrapping her arms around him. With a flourish, he accepted Scope's embrace and nodded to Jack. Let go, Paris, the aide said in a bland, dull-sounding tenor. Looking dejected, Scope obeyed. The aide took a deep breath, and a ripple traveled over his body. Then another. Jack averted his eyes. He'd learned that watching the transformation gave him something like a migraine. When he looked back, the aide was gone, and Baron stood in his place. Oh, the alien said in Harmony's voice, rich with amusement. I would say so, yes. Red Genie awoke to a shrieking, burrowing pain in his ear. He stiffened up, felt his body restrained, and began to scream. Hush, love. It's too early for that. That will come later, and then you can scream all of your pain to me. Red stifled the screams, clenched his teeth, and willed the pain away. Soon he was panting from the strain, but at least the roaring agony in his ear had subsided to a numb, throbbing itch. He couldn't see, and was dimly aware that his eyes had been bound by leather. And not just his eyes. He was rather unsurprised to discover that he was more or less naked, held down by tight leather restraints around his arms, his legs, wrists and ankles, and a heavy metallic restraint across his torso. He could feel the smooth, polished surface of each. The metal was cold, ungiving. The leather restraints tightened with his movements. They were strong, perhaps too strong to even cut through. You went through a lot of trouble, darling, Red groaned, just to tie me up. You know how I feel about a little S&M. Oh, I know, Doppelganger said, and chuckled. She brought a hand down and caressed his scalp. But I think this is a bit beyond what you had in mind. You sure? I know we discussed it a couple of times, but we really didn't get into the wild stuff. I'm sure, she said, and pressed a finger to his lips. I know you have trouble filtering your thoughts before they erupt from that sarcastic mouth, but why don't you listen for a change? You need to understand. I'm doing this because... I love you, because you're everything to me. That's right, Red thought. Keep talking while I figure out how I'm going to get out of this mess. As she spoke in low, sultry tones, Red concentrated on his surroundings. 
He didn't need to see, not while he had his skin-sense radar... thing. He was on a hard stone slab, about three feet off the ground. The air was cool, moving, piped in from overhead, massive exposed ductwork by the ceiling, at least forty feet up. It seemed to be a large room. He felt the glare of intense light heating the air around him, and stopping abruptly a few feet in any direction. Overhead spotlight, then, centered on him. Hazy shapes manifested around him. Odd instruments, some electrical and humming, others seemed very hard, very cold, and very sharp. And moving around him, lazily, just one person. Doppelganger. Her outline was familiar. She had taken the form of a slim female again. Feel yourself rising to your true potential, and that's where I need you, where you will be worthy. Red turned his attention back to her. Does it matter what she's saying? I need to keep looking for an out here. It really wasn't the time to be cheeky, but he was the genie. Sometimes he just couldn't help himself. You know what the first lesson in giving motivational speeches is? Don't tie your audience down and cut into their head. He heard Doppelganger sigh. Red, she began, cupping his face rather melodramatically with her hands. What is about to happen is very real and very necessary. You may question how I feel about you, but through it all, it is important to me that you remember what we shared— what we still share, I would hope. I am about to raise you to godhood. You need to remember that because it will seem that all I am doing is ending you in the most excruciating way imaginable. To be fair, I suppose I am. But you will be so much more, and you will be with me forever. It wasn't too long ago that I thought you wanted that. Do you still? I think you do. I'm still her. I'm still the one you fell in love with. You know better than most that everyone puts on masks. But you and I, we saw past them. We touched the truth beneath and we didn't flinch. We embraced what we saw, what we felt, darkness and all. I'm going to take us a bit further. What we will become will be the envy of anyone who ever believed in soulmates. Do you trust that? Red seemed to contemplate that for a moment when he snarled and spit into her face. Do you believe that I want nothing you're offering? He growled. Very well, she sighed. If it's any consolation, your defiance will make this quicker. Not easier on you, perhaps, but quicker. Soon you will beg for it to stop. For my forgiveness and my love. But know that you will always have my love. My forgiveness you will probably have to earn. I do owe you a few truths, though. The first is that I have only so much time. We are on a bit of a schedule, it seems. You may still have would-be rescuers, and 
I still have obligations to fulfill to my superiors. The first hurdle is detection. Our escape was not as clean as I had hoped. It has necessitated a bit of premature excavation. Your ear, for example. Right, Red said. My ear. You seem to be fascinating yourself by jabbing something sharp into it. Not for my enjoyment, she objected. Well, not solely for my enjoyment. Part of the problem, my dear Red, is that you were never truly alone. It took some doing to isolate you, but I think you are finally within my grasp. I just need to remove a couple of things first. Red began to speak and stopped. You are beginning to comprehend, my love, she purred, and with a flourish she ripped off his blindfold. Red squinted in the sudden harsh light. When his eyes adjusted, he found himself staring at her hand, just inches from his face, and held gently between her bloody fingers. My overwatch ear implant, Red croaked. Gingerly, he ran his tongue over the roof of his mouth and felt a wound where his overwatch mic had been. You see what I have to do? How it must begin, she continued. Though I suspect few would pursue you now, I know of one who would. She would stop at nothing, I think. So for now, I'm going to have to impede her efforts. But that means you have to... Yes, Doppelganger nodded. I have to remove it all, Red. And with a deft flourish, Doppelganger drove her claws down and tore out his eye. Budapest, 1932 The stone slab was a nice touch, she thought. It wasn't the first time she had been a captive, tied down for interrogation, Still, it was usually on a steel gurney or chair, fastened with steel restraints, and not this archaic setup of stone and leather. The metallic brace around her torso was their sole concession to the modern conventions. Looking about, she saw runes etched into the stone veneer of the archways over the door. Carolina rather liked it. It spoke of a simpler time, when torture was something of an art. Of course, those days were long gone. Everyone was in such a hurry now. The known world had survived the Great War and had since fallen into a global epidemic of poverty. You would think people would be ready to ease the pace a little, perhaps rediscover what little worth there was left in life. She supposed she owed her livelihood to the poor economic state of the world. Given the cost of a simple loaf of bread on the streets of Berlin, there wasn't much in the way of budget for a spy such as herself. She had to make her way with what she had available to her. A pretty face away with words, a means to make a man receptive to her pleas. It helped that she had a way of altering her appearance. Of course, it wasn't always enough. She tested her restraints again, as a reminder to herself that a woman's gifts didn't always ensure a fruitful end to her endeavors. She had outsmarted herself. It happened now and again. No matter how fair the fairer sex was, it had to stay ahead of the game. Men didn't like to be outsmarted, especially by their prey. She reminded herself who she was 
predator or prey, humming the tune she had come to adopt as her own personal theme song. Oh, certainly Marlene Dietrich had made it famous in Dablau Engel, but it should have been written for her. Ich bin von Kopf's bin Fuß so lieber eingestellt. Then she heard the faint sounds of someone entering the room. A pretty song, came a harsh voice. You speak English, Carolina said, surprised. Yes, the voice answered, and I suppose it would serve us well to use it. My German is atrocious, and you simply must work on your Hungarian, my dear. Your accent may fool commoners, but not men of substance such as myself. It grates on me, and I do not wish to hear such atrocities from those lovely lips. You would do well to stay in my favor. I'm at your mercy, she sighed, and flailed against her restraints for show. You play the part well. Whatever do you mean? I mean, you know your part in this. He hid behind the light. A deep voice, but not naturally so. If she was to guess, this was a man who had suffered for most of his life. A weak man, one who had come into power late in his story. One who carried a deep hatred for the world. One who craved power, who desired nothing more than dominance over his fellow man. One with an unsatiated grudge against those, against everyone, who he deemed was beneath him. My part? She feigned confusion. I don't know what you speak of, sir. I am but a simple servant, one who... Spare me, he scoffed. You think us stupid? You think us blind? We are the Kivalistadak, and we will lead humanity into the new world order. I know who you are and who sent you. You may as well submit, little girl. Stop playing the spy. You know your strengths. I know my needs. I'm fairly certain which one is stronger than the other, though I encourage resistance. Please, resist me, Fraulein Doppelganger. He stepped out into the light surrounding her. To her surprise, she recognized him from one of the several photographs of men she had been told to target. Bella Nage, but he was very low on the list, not so much an insurgent as someone known to be supplying active insurgents with some ill-defined support. She had been told to take him as a target of opportunity in the hopes he would betray the names of those actively working against the National Socialist cause. So, why was he here now, and identifying himself as one of the chosen ones, whoever those were, since that name wasn't on any list of known groups of agitators. He smiled, slightly, a smile that did not reach his eyes. I see you recognize me, although you do not recognize what I am. That little girl is about to change. He reached down and placed a hand gently on her stomach. You don't cower from my touch, he noted. I would say you almost welcome it. Yes, she said, and muffled the cringe she felt, feigning gratitude. You are 
like no other man I have ever met. You waste your breath, Bella muttered, and my time. Still you try. Still you seek to seduce one who is already gone in desire. But I am no common mark. Of course, I am like no man you have ever met. He grunted and wove his fingers through the air. Carolina watched, fascinated, as lights flared into existence, trailing his fingers in a beautiful dance of luminescence. He didn't seem so repugnant anymore. It was hypnotic, and she felt her blood begin to boil in excitement. Do you desire me now? he demanded. Yes, she said. Do you want me above all others? Yes. Lies, he chuckled. But they feel like truth, yes? Not to worry. Soon they will be truth, and you will speak only the truth, and only for me, yes? For you, she said. Only the truth, master. And so we begin, Bela said, caressing her cheek with his hand. With lies. But you will learn, my dear, what lies will bring. Teach me, she breathed. Of course, Bela said, and drew himself closer. It begins, like all things, with want and desire. Tell me, dear. What you desire. The truth, she said, gasping. To see the truth. I will show you, Bella promised. I will show you truth. She gasped as he pressed his thumb against her throat. Your first lesson, he said, driving his thumb down, is that you are not the predator. She screamed, coughed, and fell into a silent thrash as Bela calmly maintained pressure against her windpipe. You are powerless, Fraulein Doppelganger, and you are mine. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.